0: Morning. I felt like the musicians had something going on that we weren't a part of this morning. We, we got to reap the benefit of it. But I saw Jerry smiling, and I saw Mr. D smiling, and then I heard Johan. I think Johan was freestyling in the back there. That was special. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father, for some of us, this will be the first moment in the week where we just stop and just pray. And it's not to our guilt, Lord God, but it is to challenge us, Lord God, to receive the blessing of the redeemed community that you've given us with you. Lord God, the world lives separated from community with you. And we are blessed to have community with you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we are today praising you through that same blood. And today we are challenged through that same blood to go and to live a life that is in agreement with what your will is for the redeemed people. Lord, give us ears to hear this morning, give us eyes to see that the world is going to change when we begin to change. So often, Lord God, we look outside and point our fingers and fail to look inside and look at what we ourselves could be for you. Where have we failed you today, Lord God? Where are we not using your gifts for your kingdom? Where are we not seeking after the lost? Where do we not have joy in our heart, Lord God? Look into our hearts. Stir us as only the Holy Spirit can stir us, Lord God. Give new life where there is only death. I pray, Lord God, that this would be accomplished by your word and by your spirit. Lord, I pray for the state of our Christian home. Lord God, I pray for the state of the Christian home. That while we look outside and we see the world confused about gender roles, We see children who are disobedient to parents, parents who neglect and abuse children. Let that not be the case in the homes of your people. Let your people reflect your glory. Let your people demonstrate to the world that in Christ, that there is a role for wives and for husbands and for children and for parents and for single persons, and for those who are under the state and the authority of the state, and for those who work in the workplace, Lord, those household codes which you've given to us, which we are able to accomplish in the spirit that you have given to us, Lord God. Let us see these codes today. Let us live in them joyfully and bring new life into our homes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're beginning the third leg of our series, the third leg of our vision. This is the fifth fifth sermon in our series. This is the end. A lot of S's there. And this is the end refers to the goal or the purpose of our church. What are we here for As a community of believers, what has God placed us here for? Where are we going as a body? So when we say this is the end, it is not a sermon about the end of times. It is a sermon about the goal. What are we trying to reach? What is the north on our compass? Why do we exist as a church? And the answer is to inspire us to live for God and for neighbor rather than for ourselves. And I I hope that when you see Northwest Baptist Church, when you see your role in this church, that you think very clearly that your role is to be a journey away from yourself. It is to be a journey to God and for others. It has a horizontal direction, sorry, vertical direction and a horizontal direction. That vertical direction is towards God. That horizontal direction is towards others. And that is why we are here. Paul said it best, and if I had one verse to give someone, and only one verse to give someone, concerning the gospel, it would be, for I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not I, but Christ who lives in me if I could give anyone one message that I think so fully encapsulates the gospel, it is death to self and life in Christ. Death to self, life in Christ. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone come after me, what does he have to do? He has to take up a cross. A cross is an instrument of execution. And whatever way we bear that cross today, We are all to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. This morning, I want to talk about the third leg of our vision, which is to build Christian homes. Now, this is not a sermon on building Christian homes. I'm no construction worker by any stretch of the imagination. Anybody who knows me knows I can hardly get through a Lego set, let alone building a a house. There are some people in our very church who have built their own homes, like Russ Routon. But I'm not talking about building a building. I'm talking about a place of belonging. This leg of our vision is one that perhaps needs the most explaining, not simply for believers, but also for the lost world, since there is so much confusion concerning what the home is to be. From inside the church... The nuclear family is all too often idolized as the chief end of our human existence. That is to say that once we get married, now a person has reached the end of what they are here for. They are fully a person. That man who marries and finds a wife, now he is a complete man. The woman who marries and finds a, a husband, now he, she is a complete man. Woman, And I want to erase that idea from you today because no human being will ever complete you. Only Christ alone can complete you. And so whether you are married or you are single, you are to live as unto the Lord. From outside the church today, the family is being redefined. As both marriage and gender are being redefined. And so this is the leg of our vision that needs to be explained. Here's what our vision for building Christian homes says. We desire that every Christian home be Christ-centered. Not man-centered, not woman-centered, not children-centered. We watch the show House Hunters and there are these parents who will not buy a home unless they have a, a little shrine for their kids to play in. And they, every room they go into, they ask, how will our kids live in this room? And I, I see the value of it. I also see the idol in it, that our children can become idols. But I want us to see that our desire here is that every home in our church be a Christ-centered home. A home that is Christ-centered begins by asking two questions. It begins by asking these questions and by answering these questions. Number one, what is my role as unto the Lord? And the reason why I use the word role is because in the Bible, when we talk about home, we are speaking of household codes. And household codes not only include wife and husband and child, they include the single person The divorced, the married, even though they are unequally yoked, the widow, it includes how we relate to our bosses in the world. These are all part of God's definition of society and household codes. And so when we ask the question, what is my role as unto the Lord, we are asking is How would God have me live in the role that I find myself in? Many of us find ourselves in more than one role. We are an employee. We are a spouse. We are a parent. We are a child. We are all of these things. But all of these are not to be compartmentalized, to say that we live this way or that way and they are different. All of them have a unifying principle, Jesus Christ is the head. And whatsoever God has ordained for us to follow as Christ as our head, that we are to do. So the first question is, what is my role as unto the Lord? And the second question is, how can I fulfill this role to the Lord? A Christ-centered home is one where believers fulfill the law of Christ as both individuals and as a single harmonious unit. The law of Christ is the selfless love for others and complete devotion to God. Christ said, my will, my food is to do the will of the father. And to fulfill that law, we are to obey God, even when it is injurious to ourselves. Wives and husbands are to live for their spouses as unto the Lord. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Parents are to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and the unmarried are to live in undivided devotion to the Lord. Furthermore, Christ-centered homes seek to use those homes to disciple their children and other Christian believers, as well as evangelize to the lost. So this morning, I want to do three things. I want to first explain God's purpose for the home and how that purpose was destroyed by sin and ultimately how that home was redeemed in Christ. Second, I want to list three major principles that the New Testament gives for the Christian home. And then finally, I want to talk about three ways that we can use our Christian home to cultivate a greater love for God and neighbor. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to Genesis 126 and 28 I have titled this particular point God's redemption of the home but you can't talk about the home today without first talking about what God's purpose was for the home in the beginning So looking at your Bible looking at those passages Genesis 126 and 28 I want to give you this definition for God's original purpose for the home. In answer to the question, how did God design the home to function in society? Number one, God's original design for the home was to create a single harmonious unit made up of equal complements working together to subdue the earth and have dominion over it and to be fruitful and multiply society. Let me read that again. God's original design for the home was to create a single harmonious unit made up of equal complements, that is persons, working together to subdue the earth and have dominion over it and to be fruitful and multiply society. Let's look at our passage. If you've read Genesis You know that the very first chapter of Genesis is a general description of God's creation. And chapter 2 begins a specific creation of God creating man. But here is the general statement on God's creation for the home. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Those, those words there mean like us. Not exactly like us. But similar to us. If you want a comparison. See that man is separate from animal. Closer to God. But not equal with God. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock. And over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, this is not a description of God creating males only. It is a description of God creating man in his image. Male and female, he made them. They are equal. They are equally created in the image of God. They are not unequal. There's no need for feminism yet. There's no misogyny yet. It is harmonious. They are equal. They are fit for one another. It is God's perfect design that God will create man to be a unity and a diversity of co-equal persons who have a same worth before God, but a different function in society. How boring would the world have been had God made two men? How smelly would the world have been, too, had God made two men? I had smells I didn't even know I had until I married my wife. She told me all of the smells I have. <laughs> I thought I smelled fine. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. He blessed that. The unity and the diversity. He blessed that relationship. That's the relationship God blesses. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That is bring it under control and have dominion. That is you exercise authority on the earth over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so here's the general picture. In specific, in Genesis 2, God forms the man from the dust, and so he's just dust, and there's nothing significant about him until God breathes his life into the nostrils of man, and man becomes a living being, and not just a living being with other animals, but a living being after the image of God. And the Bible says that God placed him in the garden to tend it. But it was not good that man be made alone. In other words, God did not make man to be a solitary entity, but rather to be a part of a community. Man was not lonely. I want you to hear, this is not what God is saying. God is not saying that man was lonely. That there was some kind of flaw or error in the creation when God made man. That's not what it's saying. God has said about everything that he has made so far and it was good. It was good. And it is not good that man be made alone. It is good that man live in community. And for community to make to be made manifest, for community to happen, God is going to give a foundational unit for community called the home. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Think surgery here. And while he slept, the Lord took flesh and bone from the man's side. Of all the places he could have taken flesh and bone from, he took it from his side. To show that they were equal. To show that they were going to be one. Man took, God took flesh and bone and just as God made a special creation from the earth and breathed life into the man, so too does God make a special creation for woman from the side of man and give life to her. So that there is no partiality here. God took flesh and bone from the man's side and formed a help fit for him. That word is Izer," and it means that the woman was similar to him, equal in worth and value, but distinct from him in gender and function. She is equal, but she is not identical. Equal, but not Identical. And what were the intended consequences of this original relationship? Number one, they were to be fruitful and to multiply. That is, they were to glorify God in making more community. So God has made them. He's made them in his image, but he actually formed them. And now he has given the man and the woman the same power, slightly different, but to make more community, make more humans. To be fruitful and multiply. So we reflect God's glory in making more community. And community is unity and diversity in harmony. Community is unity and diversity in harmony. His original consequence of this relationship was to subdue the earth and have authority over it. That is that we glorify God in caring rightly for his creation. All of us. All of us. I mean, have you ever wondered what the point of your job is? What are you doing? Do you really want to make widgets? Is there anything, is there anything inherently valuable about making widgets? Widgets is a mythical creation, right? It's not a real thing. Now, it's, now it actually is a thing on an iPad. But is there anything about your job... What's the meaning of your job? Why am, I, why am I making this widget? Why am I putting this toothpaste cap on this bottle of toothpaste? Why am I, why am I getting this meeting together? Why, why am I doing this? Why? What, what am I doing this for? Is it just to put toothpaste caps on toothpaste bottles or create more widgets? God says, no. You are to take the earth, you are to subdue it, you are to care for it. This is your job. This is your work. It's not to be a burden. You're to tend to God's creation. And it's a wonderful, wonderful creation. Furthermore, God intended this home unit to foster future community in godly, complementary roles. Genesis 2:24. Says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. In other words, what was done in the case of Adam and Eve is to be repeated in all future generations. A man leaves one social role as child under parents and he creates the next home. How? The man leaves. His father and his mother and holds fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They will make children and those children, should God ordain for it to happen, would leave that social role and they would cling to their spouses becoming one flesh and so on and on it would go. And God blesses this type of community. This is God's design for community. You know, in all of the debate about gender and sexuality that we have in this country, Christians love to open up the Bible and we love to go to the point or to the, to the passages that say, well, that's wrong. And, and I, I think that's fine. I think there's a better way to do that. Go to what is right. And Genesis shows us this is what is right. The author of the earth will operate the earth in the way that he deems best and this is how he has made the earth to function. He blesses this type of community. And it was good. But those of us who are alive, who who have a brain between our ears and a heart in our chest, eyes in our head and ears on either side, know this. There is no perfect home. No perfect home. Something has gone wrong. Not only are there no perfect homes, but there are plenty of bad homes. Something happened. Know that in the next chapter, sin enters the world and disrupts the home and community as a whole. How did this change? God's good design for the home. He gave, he gave us man. He gave us woman. He was going to bless this. They were going to work in the earth. They were going to enjoy the earth. They were going to enjoy one another. There wasn't going to be confusion about gender roles. There wasn't going to be confusion about sexuality. They were going to be together. It was going to be good. God was going to bless it. And man decides, no, I'm going to choose my way over your way. And chaos ensues. Now, I want you to watch what is so neat. I say neat because it gives us an answer to the chaos that we're seeing in the world today. And I want you to see that it was there in the beginning. We, we have this idea, and I want to be careful about this, because I don't want to leave you with the impression that some societies and sometimes aren't better and aren't worse than others, but I do want you to understand that it has been bad since the beginning. Remember, God has already destroyed the earth once because it was so bad. And we have this martyr complex like we're living in a day and age where this is the only time where sin ever existed. That back in the 50s, they weren't having sex before marriage. Yeah, right. All today is is the product of the 60s. There was a war fought back in the 40s where a man was trying to kill off entire races of people. Don't have a Pollyannish view of the past. It's been bad from the beginning. And what you find today, you're going to find back in the garden. Watch this. The woman's desire... This is how these complementary roles of man and woman were destroyed. It's the first thing to go. The complementary roles of man and woman are destroyed. First, we see they're arguing, but watch this. The woman's desire will be, the Bible says, for her husband, but the word actually means against her husband's headship. The way that this complementary role is destroyed immediately, God begins to punish. So this is in Genesis 3. After the fall, what's the first thing to go? The Bible says that the woman's desire will be against her husband's headship. And the man's desire will be to rule over his wife. Now they're going in opposite directions. The woman wants to be the head and the man wants to show her that he's the head. You know what I'm talking about. You just see it displayed on every sitcom that you watch. Dumb old dad has to come in and show mommy how things are done and he always can't get himself out of a wet paper bag and mommy has to really do it for him. We've seen it in our own lives. There is immediately confusion over the gender roles. The woman desires to be against, it is against her husband's headship and now the man's desire, instead of loving his wife, instead of caring for his wife, instead of complimenting her and fulfilling his role as a man and her fulfilling her role as a help fit for man, now, now they're against that and his desire is to rule her, to rule her like a, like a citizen. Ruler like a slave. And human history is marked. It is, dare I say, full of the wounds of sexual abuse, physical abuse, spiritual and social abuse against women based upon man's desire. Now the task that they were to do together, the work that was to be enjoyable. You ever done a job that you enjoyed? I have. I've done a job that I enjoy. It's still hard, but the original one was to enjoy work. The original purpose for this community, for this home, was to enjoy their work. And now it says the task of subduing the earth is no longer a blessing but a curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So, what is already a difficult home relationship with one spouse going this way, another spouse going that way, is now compounded by problems at the job. And now that makes it even worse. So not only are there internal things trying to destroy the home, internal desires that are foreign to God's purpose, but now there are external desires. This job, just, it's just not cutting it. I'm having problems at work. If you don't believe this, just sit around any Christian prayer group and listen to people begin to talk about the things that, they're, that are on their hearts. Pray for my husband. She's having, he's having a real hard time at work. that's affecting our relationship. Pray for my wife. She's having a, a real hard time at work. And that's affecting my relationship. And so the internals and the externals are against God's purpose and against the home. Finally, the home is now the reason why all other societal relationships are at odds. Spouses are at odds. We see it in Adam and Eve blaming one another. The woman you gave me, right? He blames God, but it's also the woman's fault. right? Ultimately God's fault, but the woman you gave me and the woman's always a serpent. Children are now at odds with their parents and with one another. It is no desire of a parent that one child murder the other. And yet in the outside of the garden, Cain kills Abel. That's stuff you see on the nightly news today. Brother killing brother. Ultimately, community itself is going to be cursed at the Tower of Babel because the home is destroyed. How do we see evidence of the fall today in our homes and in society we see it in gender breakdown. I heard sometime last, a couple of weeks ago, that there's over 40, 40 types of genders today. When God gender, that is made up genders, by the way. There are really only two, male and female. That's it, folks. And, and, I, and I know you got a professor at college who can, who can explain to you and he can give you data and, and all of these things. And by the way, if you, to, if you listen to Coast to Coast AM on 610 radio around 11 o'clock, they'll call in doctors who will explain why Bigfoot, why they saw Bigfoot riding a unicorn while eating an ivory-billed woodpecker. And they will explain it so well that you'll be sitting there saying, oh my gosh, Bigfoot must be real. Use your brain. Guys, men... And women. That's it. Society has functioned. For since the beginning, understanding those gender roles. But we have a gender breakdown, a redefinition of marriage. We have racism, sexism, misogyny, misanthropy, xenophobia, civil disobedience. Rebellion against authority. Children are disobedient to parents. Parents abusive of children. Countries at war. Lawsuits amongst ourselves. And any other form of societal chaos is a consequence of the breakdown of the home. The fundamental institution of society. But... God has redeemed the Christian home. In the creation narrative, it tells us that there were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And that God took man, specifically God took man out of the garden of Eden so that man would not eat of the tree of life and live. Listen to what it says in Genesis three twenty two. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So this tree gives eternal life. Whatever the fruit is, one, one tree gives death. Another tree gives eternal life. And God says, specifically, remove them from the garden that they won't eat of this tree and have life. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground from which he was taken. What used to be good work is now hard, burdensome toil. He drove out the man and to eat of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and the flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The curse of the fall is that man will not be redeemed by eating from another tree. Whatever the imagery of the cherubim and the flaming sword may have been, the point is this. God has prevented man from obtaining eternal life all on his own. He has prevented man from solving this problem of disharmony in the home all on his own. If man is going to live and not die, he will do so not by eating of the tree of life, but by eating the bread of life. Jesus has come to redeem all. To reconcile to himself all things, even all of nature. Romans 8 tells us that all of creation groans for the revelation of the sons of God. That when Jesus comes back, there is not only going to be a destruction of the earth, there's going to be a new earth. Jesus said, do not labor for food that perishes. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Which the son of man will give you. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Remember that God gave man a subsistence portion of manna that he might live while in the wilderness. And now he gives us a subsistence portion of food every day. Some of us call it McDonald's. Others call it jerk chicken. Some of us call it roti. That's subsistence because guess what? Tomorrow you're hungry again. And all this life, all this life is going to ever produce is more hunger. But in Christ, Jesus says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christians, We have eaten of the flesh of Christ and are now the inheritors of eternal life. So in this life now, how do we take our homes and reflect what God has done by redeeming us? How do we as redeemed individuals redeem the home? I want you to see that that this isn't about rules, Christian. This isn't about, okay, you got to, if you're going to be a Christian home, you know, you got to be this way and that way. And, And if you don't do that, then you're not a Christian. It's about what God has done for you as an individual in that he has redeemed you to his son. How now can we redeem every social relationship and institution in society? Now that God has done that, we see the fall. The advent of Christ has changed history on its face. Now there's hope. The the tree of life was blocked. Now we have the bread of life. Now we've eaten of that bread. Now what do we do as we await the glorification of our bodies when Christ returns? We redeem the home. Our We redeem every relationship that we have with one another. We redeem the division between the races and the genders so that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek or male or female, we redeem oppression and suffering so that in Christ there is no slave or free and there is no partiality and that we can call this one church a church that is a body that is being grown up or built up into the one head, Jesus Christ. That is what we are after now. There used to be a book called The Two Carolines. My daughter is very much like The Two Carolines. And in this book, The Two Carolines, the the Caroline, it was one girl. She didn't have split personalities. But the one girl, when she was at school, was on her best behavior. Always did her work. Never gotten any conduct problems. But when she got home, with her parents, she was disrespectful, ungrateful, undisciplined. And sometimes, Christians, we're one way here when we're together. And then when we get home, we're somewhat different. I want us to stop living the Christian life on Sunday only. The redeemed life is not a praise and worship 30-minute song that you do once a week. That's not where the Holy Spirit lives alone. The Holy Spirit lives when you die to self, husband, and live for your wife the way Christ lived for the church. Wife, the way that you live for your husband is the way that Christ lives. Is unto the Lord and in a submission, the way Christ submitted to the Father. Children to be disciplined in the Lord. Slaves obeying their masters as unto the Lord. Obeying the government as unto the Lord. And so now that we have eaten of the bread of life, what do we do? 1 Corinthians 7.17 says this, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule, says Paul, I lay down in all the churches. Are we living like believers in the role that God has assigned to us today? I want to give three New Testament principles Principles for Christian Homes. Number one, every, based on the Christian home, every earthly relationship is based upon our union with Christ. I've already mentioned that in the New Testament, these are called household codes and the household codes include people who are outside of the nuclear family. So every earthly relationship is based upon our union with Christ. That means even if your boss is a miserable person, Your relationship to that boss is based upon your relationship with Christ. Even if your husband or ex-husband or wife or ex-wife or children are miserable human beings. Don't forget yourself, by the way. You are to live in that relationship in obedience to the Lord. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord, Ephesians 5.22. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6.1. Single persons are unfettered from the bonds of marriage, but are to give their undivided devotion to the Lord. Single persons, just by the by, I want you to understand, you live in a very special time in your life if you're single. Go and read 1 Corinthians 7 and see the premium that God puts on the single life. He says husbands and wives, they've got to be devoted to their spouses and to their children, but the single person can give their undivided attention to the Lord's work. You don't have to ask whether or not God is calling you to go in on that missions trip or to be involved in a community project or to be serving in your church. The answer is yes. You are not being pulled in another direction. I I, I sent a, I sent a, this was funny. I wish I could show you the meme, but I sent a, a meme, which is a picture of a scene With the words on it there. And I sent a meme to Stephanie this week. And it was a scene from Goodfellas where they're really laughing. They're having a guffaw, like side-splitting funny. And it says, when people without kids tell me they're exhausted. And it just (laughs) shows Single person. (laughs) On this side of it. I know you feel exhausted. Trust me. You ain't. All week long, we've been dealing with Kellen. He's had kind of a, 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 he's had an allergic reaction. And all week long, he's been with hives and he's been waking up every night. We haven't slept all week. Single person, you live your life right now to the Lord, not to yourself, to the Lord. What a privilege. You're not being pulled anyway. You can give your undivided devotion to the Lord. That should be viewed as a good thing. Bond servants modern day example would be any person under the authority of another so employees under a boss but bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart a sincere heart as you would obey Christ not by way of i service as people pleasers but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. Be subject. Whatever role you find yourself in right now, be subject to that role as unto the Lord. Do not compartmentalize your life from your spiritual life. When you leave here, you got to go be a Christian coworker. Yeah, when that water cooler talk goes south, You got to come in there and bring some light, not by correction, but by grace. When you're when your fellow co-workers are starting a revolt against the boss and are showing. Showing aggression and wrath, you have to show grace and mercy. As unto the Lord. Paul even says, if you're with an unbelieving spouse, don't leave them. Stay with them. Because how do you know that you won't ultimately save them? You don't know, Christian, that your good behavior can ultimately lead people to the saving knowledge of Christ. The second principle for the Christian home is living according to God's prescribed roles promotes unity and peace. First Peter 3, 8, 9 says, all of you have, uni- have a unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. If we obey the rules, if we are all, especially in the church, where this should be the case, we should not be feuding, there should not be fighting, infighting in the church. If we are not repaying reviling with reviling, if we are loving one another, if we have a tender heart and a humble mind, the Bible says this is a blessing. We will obtain a blessing in the future, but now we will obtain a small blessing of being in the unity of mind. Third, living according to God-ordained societal roles is one of the greatest witnessing tools. Believing spouses are to remain with unbelieving spouses. Now, that is not to marry unbelieving spouses. But if you were married before you came to Christ, and you came to the Lord as your Savior and your spouse didn't, Paul says, stay right where you are. Stay right where you are. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I've had people come to me and say, it's miserable at home. I just, they, and, and of course, how could you expect it not to be? You've come to know the Lord and your spouse doesn't know the Lord. And the, you're not walking together in agreement anymore. The Lord is, Christ is your Lord now. And for your husband or for your wife, their Lord is something else. How can the two be in agreement or walk together unless they be in agreement? They cannot be. You say, are you saying to stay? Only because Paul says so. Only because God's Holy Spirit says so. It's not easy. But it glorifies God when you do. In general, 1 Peter 2.11-12 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. A sojourner is a foreigner, a non-resident. Every Christian who lives in this earth today is a sojourner. The earth is not their home. You are in a foreign land. When when you get on the evening news and you find that America has done... uh, This last week, I got all kinds of texts from people who told me that in Canada... They came out and they, it was the first, I think it was in Canada, the first gender neutral birth certificate. Well, that's coming to America too. America's not heaven. We're not going to take back America. Stop. We never had it in the first place. This is not our home. We are sojourners. Even this, exiles. An exile is someone who's displaced against their will. As sojourners, I urge you, says Peter, as sojourners and as exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That includes all sin, especially disobedience to roles. Listen to what he says. Keep your conduct. This is how we know it's especially according to our roles. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Living according to God-ordained societal roles is one of our greatest witnessing tools. Finally, I want to talk really quickly, three ways we can use our homes to cultivate a greater love for God and neighbor. Brad House says this, Christ-centered homes consciously consider one another and include one another in the everyday moments of life. He continues, this can be done by simply inviting members of your community into the rhythms of your life that you typically do by yourself. I like that especially for our church. I think we're a church with real rhythm as evidenced by our musicians today. Okay, it's not enough to simply, okay, go and be a God-honoring wife and a God-honoring husband. That's good, but now use this home for good. And so Bradhouse says, listen, invite members of your community Into the rhythms of your life that you typically do by yourself. That means invite me and my wife over into the rhythm of your oxtail feast that you're having some Sunday. I want to be as rhythmless as I am, I want to be in that rhythm right there. That is my that is my speed, oxtail. Marcia White, she used to invite us into the rhythms of their home. When we were growing up, we spent, oh my gosh, every Thanksgiving with your family. What a blessing that was. It's such a blessing when we share our redeemed homes with redeemed people because they might be doing something over there that we haven't figured out over here and we may have figured something out over here that they haven't figured out over there and iron sharpens iron. Sometimes Stephanie and I feel like we're the only ones with kids who don't sleep and we're so happy when Johan tells us that their kids don't sleep either. I'm so edified when David and Kathleen's kids come down with some kind of sickness because mine came down with the same sickness. And they're telling me, rub this ointment on that. And I'm saying, yeah, they're calling them up. And, they... and it's a blessing. We're sharing in the rhythms of our lives. So we're taking our redeemed homes, we're sharing them with redeemed people. It's glorifying God. He says, This, I love this. This is a great example. Says if your family goes out for pancakes on Saturday morning, why not invite another family to join you? There's something special around a meal. GK Chesterton said, Everyone's worldview changes drastically 30 minutes after they've eaten. You're all mad, you're angry. <laughs> I hate the world. You know, life's not so bad. Yeah. It's like Elijah. He, he defeats the prophets of Baal. He's on a high. And then he gets all mopey. He becomes a cat. He's all cranky. And God says, eat. Jesus, when he was witnessing to the world, Jesus had no home, but he spent time in homes. Because something can happen around a meal. And yet we all leave and go to our homes. Some of the best times in this church are when we have to stay here and eat together. Some of the best meals in this church are when we have to eat together. He says, I love this, maybe invite a newlywed couple from your church so they can experience the chaos of dining out with small kids. My in-laws and I went out to, for dinner the other night. You know, they haven't had kids in a long time, you know, so they have forgotten how bad they were. Kellen was jumping off of things. He, was climb- he kept climbing on the back of the booth, hitting the mirror. He was pushing the table. When you bring in, you ever seen single, single people, when you bring in your children, you bring in all three of them, they're like, oh, gosh, we got to move. <laughs> I want to invite you. We need to invite one another into that chaos. He says here, this simple act may seem mundane, but the blessing that comes from sharing your life with others is invaluable. And it is the difference between being in autonomy or being in community. The home is the foundation for community. And we are to share that community with one another. This morning, I want you to ask yourself this. Listen to me, I promise you this. Stephanie, if she's around here, she will testify to it. All week long, I've told her this. I feel challenged. I feel very challenged on this front. How are we using our home for God's people? So I'm asking myself this question. I want you to ask it. I want you to answer it. And I want us to answer it in the positive For discipleship, how can I use my home for discipleship of not only my family, but for other believers as well? Single person, you are the coolest person to younger single girls. How are you using your home to lead those girls into a greater relationship with Christ? Single men in this church, how are you using your home? How are you using, and again, if you don't have a home, if if your home is your truck, not that you're living out of your truck, but if your home is that, how are you using that to get together for coffee with your brothers in Christ? How are you using your belonging? Remember, house is a place, it's a building, but the home is a sense of belonging. How are you using your place to create that discipleship and to mature one another into the head, which is Christ? For fellowship, How are you or how can you use your home for fellowship with the body of Christ? And then finally, ask yourself this question. How can I use my home to proclaim the excellencies of God to unbelievers? Do you have a neighbor who doesn't know the Lord? Invite them into the rhythms of your life. Let them see the beating heart of a redeemed home. Share with them some sugar and salt and the glories of God in Christ Jesus. God has redeemed the home. How will we take what God has redeemed and further glorify him? Let's pray. God, thank you For redeeming the Christian home. But we've still got much work to do. Lord, how will this church respond to this one sermon? Our vision is to cultivate, Lord God, to build Christian homes, but to use those homes to glorify you. So, Lord, many of us need to clean up our acts. We need to submit to the will of God as husbands and as wives and as children, as single persons. And then, Lord God, we need to take that home and we need to use it for your glory. Holy Spirit, convict us so that we might glorify you in our homes. Amen.